Luke chapter 10. I'm going to break my series in uh, James. I usually don't do this, but I'll continue tonight. I hope you'll be back tonight. We're going to be praying and preaching on praying for the straying. We'll be finishing the last two verses of James. Uh, this is a book of maturity. You know, I believe you ought to grow up. I believe we ought to grow up in the way we worship, the way we listen. Thank God for that song. I hope you got the message. I hope you didn't miss one word of that song. Amen. That, I mean, when a person sings, they're, they're singing a message. And I believe you ought to listen. I believe you ought to be attentive. I believe you ought to be respectful when people sing. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. Uh, this morning, I appreciate our church being a church that's not just a seating church, but a sending church. And you don't judge a church by its seating capacity, you judge a church by its sending capacity. But I want to tell you something, friend, we need more people to come in here and be a part of it. So I want you to start witnessing and soul winning, and I believe we ought to be missionaries across the street as we send people across the seas, amen? And so we need to not be hypocritical in our missions and just get an effort of going overseas. We need to witness every day. Had some good times of witnessing yesterday, and I look for people to come as results of it. But, you know, I appreciate our church not being stagnant. I believe, you know, I believe a, a stagnant pond is one that has no outlet. But I want to tell you something, a free-flowing river has an inlet and an outlet. And our outlet is souls, and our outlet is soul winning, and ministry, and missions, and giving, and not just getting. Uh, a lot of times we have people come and they want uh, uh, food from the food co cover. And we, don't, we have a policy, you cannot... Uh, get money from our church unless you attend one service. We make them endure one service. <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and we usually help them afterwards. But I want to tell you something. Usually what I tell them, I said, next time you come, I want you to come to give. And they look at me and they say, what in the world do you mean? I said, give worship. Because I want to tell you something. This money is from the Lord. It's not from us. It's from God. God blessed us to be a blessing. But I believe we ought to come to give. Give glory to God. Give honor to God. And then give our life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. In light of Calvary, should we not give our lives as servants for God? Amen? And that's the whole essence of the church. We're not here uh, to uh, be, be aquarium for fish. We're here to train fishers of men. And that means we want to have service and disciples. Somebody asked one of the ushers if, uh, if they had to be a member to give faith promise. My answer is, no, you can give faith promise no matter what, amen? If you never come back, just send it, amen? No, not really. Uh, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Uh, but I, I appreciate that desire, and so just go ahead and give, amen? And then join. But look at Luke chapter 10. Let's stand on to the Word of God, verse 30 through 37. The Bible says this, and I hope you'll come back tonight, because I'm going to finish James tonight, and then we'll start uh, the book of Esther on Wednesday night. We'll go through the book of Mark on Sunday morning and Sunday night, so don't miss a service you, you won't be, uh, have continuity if you miss a service. We, we link all of them together and let the word preach. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he had he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. 
And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to, the, to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when they departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showeth mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the good singing. Thank you for that message and song. Oh, God, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your excellent name. Thank you, dear God, that we have the gospel to spread to a lost and dying world, and we're not trying to push religion on people. We're not trying to push personality, certainly, on people. We're trying, or a program, or a church. God, we want to just lift Jesus. and We want to take Jesus to a lost and dying world. For, Lord, you're the only hope they have. You're the only one that can change their life. You're the only one that can save their soul. So, Lord, help us to become a church that's a soul-winning station. But, God, a place that worships, a place that studies, a place that knows you intimately as we go out into a lost and dying world and beg people to trust you. So, Lord, please give me power to preach. Thank you, Lord, for our visitors uh, from Kentucky and Tennessee and all over the place. Some come back that have been sick for weeks. We thank you for giving their health back. God, we're just so thankful uh, for the privilege to preach your word this morning. Please anoint it and use it for your glory. Amen. You know, the Bible compares the church to a bride. Jesus is the groom, and we're the bride, and therefore we ought to love him. Compares the church to a body. He's the head. We're parts of the body, praise God, and we ought to yield to it. He's a building. Jesus is the cornerstone. We're the building blocks. We shouldn't be a stumbling block. Amen. But I want to compare the church to something else this morning. I want to pre- compare the church to a haven of rest. And uh, the Bible says the devil has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he's a thief. He's a robber. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. You know, I feel sorry for people out of the will of God. I feel sorry for people that are lost. I mean, all they have to look forward to is some blooming ball game and usually their team loses. All they got to look forward to is the stock market and it fluctuates. All they got to look forward to is all the gusto of the world. But I want to tell you something, there's dregs at the bottom of the cup. And folks, it's just a fake. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a promotion of, of, of the trinkets and tinsel of this world. And folks, I believe he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. In other words, you're just existing if you're not saved, amen? And there's a lost and dying world that just doesn't realize who they're missing and what they're missing. And it behooves us as a church to be a church that's different. First of all, I believe that the church ought to be a place of rescue. Look at verse 30. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and stripped him of raiment, wounded him, and parted, leaving him half dead. Look at verse 31, it says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and likewise a Levite, when he, he was uh, at that place, he came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, <clears throat> as he journeyed, came where he was, <clears throat> and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Our theme for this past year, or past week, excuse me, 
was a passion for souls. And we got that from uh, uh, Jude where it says, some having compassion, making a difference. And folks, I want to tell you something. If there's ever an organization, uh, a, a body of believers, that ought to have compassion, it ought to be the local church. Say amen. I mean, our church should be full of compassion. Not full of ourselves, not full of programs, not full of just Bible knowledge, and that's, that's needed. But we ought to be full and overflowing of the Spirit of God. And the last time I checked, the Spirit of God is a spirit of love. Folks, we don't need to stay the flow. We need to be conduit from the upper poo to the bottom poo, as the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 7, because there's a lost and dying world that needs Jesus. You notice in verse 30, he was bruised, this sinner. And folks, the Bible says that he was uh, stripped. He was lifeless, half dead. Well, I want to say something, friend. Sinners are not just half dead. They're all the way dead. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 2, they're dead in their sins and trespasses. He was left alone. And I want to tell you something, friend. All we like sheep have gone astray. But thank God, the iniquity of us all, God laid on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, verse 6. And so we see, folks, there's a need. There's a need. You needed Jesus when you were lost. Say amen. I want to tell you something. If it wasn't for someone bringing the gospel to you, where would you be today? How would your family be going today? How, uh, what kind of joy would you have? You just have the happiness, happenings of this world that brings happiness instead of the joy of the Lord that comes by Jesus. And I see in this place of refu- refuge, or place of rescue, excuse me, uh, this, this uh, parable that uh, I picture the church as this motel, this haven of rest. I see the callousness of the sanctimonious. Look at verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Folks, listen, I want to tell you something. Priests uh, glanced and passed on the other side. The Levite gazed at him. He wanted to make sure he was alive, I guess, and he passed on the other side. It's a pitiful picture of the church that's lost his compassion. Folks, I want to tell you what compassion means. You get involved. It means you intimately care. That's compassion. Somebody said that uh, uh, an old Indian proverb uh, defined compassion as walking a mile in someone else's moccasins. I want to tell you something, friend. Compassion, you put yourself in their place. If it wasn't for Christ. You'd be in hell today, a lot of you. If it wasn't for Christ, you'd be lost. If it wasn't for Christ, you'd have no no goal in life but to get up and read the paper and watch the NFL that can't even salute the flag. Don't get me started on that. Folks, listen. Listen. We he came where we were. Jesus Christ is the greatest missionary that ever walked this earth. He gave up the splendor and glory of heaven and he came to us. And folks, he sets a pattern that the church ought to go to the world. Not the church should act like the world and invite the world in, but we ought to go out into the world and witness and care enough to identify with sinners. It's only by the grace of God that you're saved this morning. It's only by the grace of God you're on the way to heaven instead of hell this morning. And so folks, there there needs to be a difference. Genuine compassion has a purpose. He came where he was. 
And then it has a perspective. He saw him as he is. We need to see people as they are. And I'll say how they are. They're not black and white. They're not Hispanic or American. They're not Tennessee fans or Georgia fans. I'll start a split right there, praise God. They're not Northwest or Dalton, or Dalton or Southeast. I've heard a church up the road split over that. God help them. They ain't got nothing more to do than split over a football team. Something's wrong. But folks, we look at people not as rich and poor, not as white or black, not as foreign or, or domestic. We look at people either lost or saved. We look at people either going to heaven or hell. They're either saints or they ain't. Amen? They're either in or they're out. And folks, listen, that ought to behoove us and that ought to stir us to see this new perspective on people, that we look at people as Christ looks at them and have compassion on them. Passion makes a difference. What are you passionate about? Some of you are passionate about your ball team. You're passionate about yourself. You look in the mirror every five minutes. And listen, I want to tell you something. Nothing's changed, praise God. We're passionate about things that really doesn't matter. We ought to be passionate about what God's passionate about. Some of you eat, drink, and sleep making money. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to uh, die just like everybody else, bankrupt, spiritually, if you're not careful. And I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse except one time. From a smart aleck member that put one behind it. Amen. I was in South Africa that day. I'd have loved to have been in that funeral procession following that U-Hauler. Rick personally got me on that one. But folks, listen, they're either saved or lost. They're either going to heaven or hell. And exactly where you were, God found you like you were, lost. You couldn't save yourself. You was in a ditch of sin. You know, you weren't half dead. You was all the way dead. And folks, I see this gracious compassion. Look at verse 33. Don't you love to study the Word of God? Amen. Amen. Let it preach. It says in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Folks, now, walking by the wayside, he wasn't like a priest. Wasn't that great about that? It wasn't a great, but it was a great testimony of, of, of Brother Miguel about uh, the many times he, he went into a booth in Columbia and he left there just as empty as he walked in that booth with that confession to that man, that man-made father, that godly man-made priest. Dalton, he was the intercessor. He's not the intercessor. And Mary's not either. There's only one meter between us and God. Amen. Amen? And he walked out just as lost as he was when he walked in. And thank God somebody, somebody preached the gospel to him in Alpharetta, Georgia when he moved all the way to America. Named Austin Gardner, the first convert in Vision Baptist Church. I'll be preaching a, uh, excuse me, a, a family conference there thir uh, Saturday. And I'm so excited that they're taping it for all the missionaries around the world because I'm going to tell you something. The target for, uh, for the devil is missionary families. That little couple that seems so sweet and seems so kind and seems so excited about uh, Papua New Guinea, the devil is going to try to split them. And they need help in their family. They need help in their marriage. The devil's going to try to, do, do, when they have children, to get the child. 
Why? Because he devours, he divides. And I'm excited about, about being a blessing to him. But I want to tell you something, friend. If it wasn't for the grace of God, none of you'd be married. If it wasn't for the grace of God, none of you'd be in church. I wouldn't be in church. My daddy was a drunk. I'd be a drunk probably this morning, waking up with a hangover. But Jesus came to me. And some Sunday school teacher brought the gospel to me when I was a junior boy. And a little lady taught me the gospel when I was a beginner in, in, in Sunday school, Miss Massey. She had a plastic leg. I'll never forget that. Brother Randy, thank God for that you've got yours still there. Amen. Amen. Don't laugh. I'm serious. Praise God. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Gracious compassion, but gentle compassion. Now he's walking with the sinner on the back of his beast. We could compare that to those old buses out there. Why don't I name some of them beast? Amen. <laughs> Folks, I want you to know he took that, he took that uh, sinner, and we see it, uh, the church ought to be a place of recovery. But we shouldn't just bring them in the house of God to bring them to recover. We ought to go to them where they're at and win people to the Lord in their homes. Amen? And minister to them and disciple them in their homes. That's God's plan. And he bound up the wounds. Thank God, the strips of white linen cloth probably. And, and folks, he, he, he poured in the oil. That represents the Holy Spirit. It soothes and comforts. David looked at sheep, and, uh, uh, and I'm going to tell you something, friend. Uh, uh, he said, uh, he anointeth my head with oil. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He anointeth my head with oil. And you say, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you what it means. Sheep get crazy, like a lot of people do sometimes, amen? They start banging heads with each other, and one might crack a horn and blood trickle down uh, its forehead, and it attracts flies and parasites and other insects. And soon it gets infected and forms a cyst. Sometimes it will grow so large that it covers the whole eye, and the little lamb can't even see. It weighs down his head so much that the little sheep can't hold his head up, and the shepherd if the shepherd didn't come, that lamb would be devoured by the uh, roaring lion, the devil, and the wolf. The shepherd would take the crook of his staff and raise up the helpless lamb to himself and cradle him and lay his little ear next to his heart. and The little lamb would feel the hot breath of the shepherd and hear the sound of the shepherd's heart next to his, his soul. And the shepherd would reach back into his pack and get some oil and anoint the sheep's head and pour the healing oil that would heal the infection. He'd massage it in and that wound would be uh, uh, maybe scarred later, but thank God it'd be healed by the oil. And folks, I want you to know that when we're head-butted by the devil and we can't see and we can't pick ourselves up, there's a shepherd that came to us. His name is Jesus. He's the Savior and he picks us up. And he anoints us with the oil of, of his Holy Spirit and soothes our hearts and, and covers our hearts. And thank God the blood of Jesus covers us and we're saved and soothed and satisfied with Jesus. He picks us up. Aren't you glad the shepherd left the 99 and came after you when you was lost? It's a place of refreshing encouragement, of love, yes, but folks, it's a place of protection. It's a place of care. And let me just say thirdly, and I have five points, even though I don't have five hairs on my head. It's a place of redemption. The church ought to be a place of rescue. We ought to go after them. 
I'm telling you something, friend. This, this, excuse me. This is not a spectator sport. God didn't call us to sit the pew. When I was in college and played soccer for Georgia State University, as a freshman, I bugged the coach to death to let me in. I thought I could play better than those seniors. I couldn't, but I thought I could. Amen? And I wanted off the bench. I did not join the team to sit the bench. If you're satisfied with a bench warmer mentality of Christianity, then you're settled in. And you might be stagnant. And you need to realize that God has called you to be equipped to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. Yes, through the missionary effort. Yes, thank God, we can touch the world through this little church. But I'm talking about, folks, God's called you to your neighborhood. God's called you to your work. God's called you to your school. There's four desks around you. Last time, when I went to, when I went to school, there was desks. I don't know what they are now, amen? Probably cubicles or something, I don't know. Might be computer stations. I, I have no idea. But friend, God has called you to that place to be a witness and a rescuer of souls. You can't rescue them, but you know the one that can. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Amen. Jesus Christ. What a privilege that God has called us to be a missionary church, an evangelistic church, a caring, compassionate. Do you really care? Do you really care? And folks, I want to tell you something. Anything that you love and care about, you invest in. Say amen. I mean, you, you flat sacrifice to go to your game. And I'm not preaching against that. You know, you know what team I'm for. I bought a Georgia jersey yesterday from a, from a, from a guy, a real nice G in. I said, I ought to wear that to preach and split the church. Amen. But, uh, but I, I'm not. We always kid around, but we, we, know what, we know who the winning side is. Christianity. Amen. God. We're more than conquerors through Him. We don't get wrapped up in the frills of this world. But folks, it ought to be a place of redemption. Look at verse 35. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. I'll tell you what's amazing about this good Samaritan. He wasn't a religious Pharisee. He wasn't a religious priest that just walked by the side. He took his own beast, put that man on that beast. He, 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 cured, he, he took care of his, his hurts and his wounds, probably wrapped him up in... Uh, some kind of bandage, and he got him to the motel, got him to the haven of rest, got him to what I'm comparing as a church, and he said, hey, listen, I want to pay for this man's rent. I want to pay for it all. I want to pay for his rescue. And folks, you know, I want to tell you something. Jesus paid it all. He, he, he paid it all. And folks, salvation is free. These cults up the road, Jehovah Witnesses, Islam, Buddhism, right here two blocks away from us, they think we have to pay for it. And they think we have to maintain it. Some kind of work salvation. Folks, I want to tell you something. Jesus paid it all. And folks, He is the rescuer of my soul. The church should be a place of grace preaching. The cross, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. It ought to be a place of salvation. Say amen. And folks, we ought to go out and tell the world, not wait for the world to come to the church because they're not coming to church 
unless you entertain and have a rock concert and smoke coming up from the platform and jugglers for Jesus and clowns for Christ. We got to go get them. And the way we get them is we love them. And we knock on their door and we get involved in their life. And we don't compromise and become a friendly sinner, but we sure are a good friend when they need it. And folks, that's what Jesus was. He didn't compromise, but praise God, he came to us when we couldn't come to him. And God help us not to be a church that expects us just to sit around and wait for people to visit because we have such nice, commodious facilities. These facilities will not attract the modern generation. They're not fancy enough, it's not loud enough, and it's not wild enough. But praise God, I'm going to tell you somebody that will attract them. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ who died for them. And if you think I'm going to compromise a second to get a crowd, you got another thought coming, friend, because I'm going to tell you something. We're not running a party around here, and we're not a political party. Folks, we're a church that wants to rescue the sinner, like I was and like you were. It's a place of redemption. It's paid in full. He paid for it and said, hey, when I come back, I'll take care of the rest. And I believe the haven of rest of the church ought to be a place that preaches his return. In verse 35, it says, and when I come again, I'll repay thee. Folks, I want to tell you something. For a man that's saved, one of the ultimate things that we ought to look forward to is his soon coming. And I believe we're in the very last days. And I believe the Lord could come any minute, any second, the trump of God will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with the Lord. Amen? And I believe, folks, that it's a place of, it should be a place of rejoicing over His soon coming. I know it's hard out there. I know it's bad out there. Folks, this shooting and, and all the things that's going on could depress one. It's dark. It's dismal. There's cults building on a little road in Dalton, Georgia. It seems like they're trying to take over America. But I want to tell you something, friend. We can rejoice and be grateful that we have a church that loves his soon return and looks for it. I'm looking for him to come. And folks, there ought to be an urgency about the matter. There ought to be an urgency about soul winning. There ought to be an urgency about taking on missionaries. There ought to be an urgency about praying that they'll stay on the field. And there ought to be an urgency about praying that they'll be effective when they get there and be preaching the gospel. It's a place of redeeming the time. Folks, the Bible tells us, walk in wisdom towards them who are redeeming the time. Hey, our redemption draweth nigh. Folks, there's no time to play games. There's no time to sit around and soak and sour and split and splatter and start another church because we can't get along. Thank God we've been here for 39 and three-fourths years and we've never had a major split. Now we've started a lot of churches. We have about 51 people out in full-time ministry. But I want to tell you something, friend. That's not a split. That's a sending organization. Folks, that's a, that's a commission. That's a delight. That's a precious, precious uh, time of redeeming the time. But it ought to be a place of responsibility. Look at the last phrase it says in verse 37 go and do thou likewise go and do thou likewise some churches are just religious they won't get the job done because priests will walk on the other side of the road priests will never get down in the dirt 
and pick somebody up. There's too much ceremony. There's too much dignity. But I want to tell you something, folks. God's called us to be servants, not celebrities. And servants, not religious leaders. And then, folks, there's too much resembling of the world in the church today. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. God did not call us to be like the world. God sent us into the world. And if you take the difference out of Christianity, you take Christ out of Christianity. We need to be different. We're not holier than thou. We ought to have a compassion realizing where we were when God found us. How long did it take you to get spiritual? So don't just jump people with the gospel. Love people with the gospel and make a difference in their life. Folks, the church has become a place of recreation. You'd be surprised how many people call and check out the church before they even visit. Oh, how many programs you got? And, and how many staff do you have? And, and, and I understand we ought to check it out because it's a family thing and there ought to be the right kind of music. There ought to be the right kind of teaching. But I want to tell you something, friend. We're not running a recreation program around here. We're not running some kind of, uh, of, um, of YMCA here. We're not trying to acquire people to have fun. Folks, we need to have people that are happy, but before you're happy, you've got to be holy. And you'll never be happy until you're holy. So we need to preach the gospel and not compromise it. And folks, some people uh, join a church where they can relax. I had a deacon several years ago leave the church. I said, why are you leaving? He said, you expect me to do something. I said, what? He said, yeah. You I said, well, the word deacon means servant. I really do expect you to do something. Serve God. Amen? He didn't come back. We were, we were good friends to the day he died. And I want to tell you something, friend. God didn't call us to rest. The rest will be in heaven. Amen. God called us to be concerned about that guy in the ditch. The fellow in Nicaragua that's never heard. The fellow in Egypt that's being oppressed and in jail for his religion. The fellow that's lost and Two, lives two blocks from here and is religious and thinks he's saved because he goes to Mass every Saturday night. Folks, there's no place to rest. We need to go where they're at. And then I believe that when this old fellow got up in this, in this uh, motel, I believe the first thing he probably asked the innkeeper, I'll never forget one time I played an innkeeper in a Christmas play, but what I blew that part, amen. I let them all in. But anyway, uh, I believe that the one thing he wanted to know is I believe he wanted to know about his Savior. He wanted to know about that fellow that came after him. He probably woke up half, half in a coma, got, probably went down there, and he probably said, hey, listen, tell me about him. I believe the church definitely ought to be a place of revelation. I believe we ought to lift up Jesus. Amen. I believe, folks, that the main theme of this church ought to be Jesus Christ. I believe we ought to sing about Jesus. I believe we ought to play about Jesus. I believe we ought, to, uh, we ought to teach about Jesus. I believe we most indeed ought to preach about Jesus. And folks, you say, well, that's not deep enough. You can't get any deeper than Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to Him but by, by, the, by Him. Amen? To the Father but by Him. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. There's over a hundred names for God in the Bible. 
There's 42 chapters that describe a tent, a tabernacle that points to Jesus. Every part of the furniture points to Jesus. We look at the revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus. Every chapter is about him. The splendor, the power. He's the Lamb King. Folks, I believe the church ought to make much of Jesus. I believe they ought to lift Jesus. And I believe we ought to preach the soon coming reward of faithfulness. And folks, I believe the bottom line is this. We need to go where they're at. And I want to tell you something. There's a lost and dying world that can't get up. They're not half dead. They're not just lacerated. They're not just bruised. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. The Bible says they're dead. They're walking according to the course of this world. Satan has them duped. And we need to be moved with compassion. I want you to turn to Matthew 9, 35 through 38. My time's up. I want you to look at this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38 and 39. Folks, we're going to be like Jesus, then we need to be full of compassion. We need to love sinners like He loves them. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Notice that He went about all the cities and villages. He didn't stay in some tabernacle or temple. Teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But look at verse 36. And when he saw the multitude, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with what? Compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then said he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors unto his harvest. Folks, what was this past week about? It was sending forth labors into his harvest. You see, these missionaries come by and they stay on the deputation trail for two years. And I believe they're a blessing to the church because it wakes the church up to the need of the world. But it also wakes up the church that the only hope for the world is Jesus. And if they can dedicate their life, and I have a daughter that's done this, and I miss her every, and we're, she's leaving January 11th, and we're already counting the days, and Mark puts it on the internet. We got 91 days before we return. It breaks our heart, because we don't want to see them leave. But we know they must leave, because they have a duty, they have a commission, they have a calling. They have a country that's never heard the gospel. And some having compassion makes the difference. Compassion will move the sinners. Hard crust of indifference. Years ago, I heard a story of a soul winner. This man was an unlettered man. He was an uneducated man. And he, he, he had a normal but... Uh, not a super normal mental ability. And a lot of people think you've got to be so smart to be a soul winner. But you don't. You just got to have compassion. He gives you wisdom. But he had a heart full of love for Jesus Christ. And there was in a town a very literate, educated, somewhat cynical man who was not a Christian. 
And this soul winner felt a burden to go see this man and talk to him about Jesus Christ. And he did, and he called on him one evening, and the man was very brilliant and very logical and very argumentative. Made sport of the soul winner. The soul winner had some illustrations, some arguments that he thought would be quite good. And, but when he finished with the soul winner, with the sinner, he, humil, he humiliated, humiliated the soul winner. He just put him down and he showed him some of his lack of logic and, and, and some of the lack of logic in his presentation, so to speak. And he showed him where he had been contradictory, contradicting himself in his presentation. Finally, the soul winner realized he was way over his head. Way over his head, seemingly. He had blew it. He was a wrong man, as it were, for the job to reach this college professor. He was humiliated. He felt that he disgraced Jesus and, he called, and the cause of Christ, and the man most likely would never be saved. And the soul winner, with a broken heart, began to weep a little. And he told this man, and he put his hand on his shoulder and said, I'm sorry. I should have never come here. I don't have what it takes to talk to a man like you. I'm sorry. I just love you. And I wanted to see you saved. That's all. I'm sorry. The soul winner left feeling he had failed and, and was a disgrace for this Lord. He came home and told his wife, he said, Wife, I don't want any supper tonight. I'm going to my bedroom to pray. I'd like to be left alone. And he went in humiliation and feeling that not only was the man lost, but he had failed the Lord. He sobbed out his confession to God and asked him to forgive him for being so ill-prepared and, and not knowing how to answer this brilliant man. A couple hours later, a knock came on the door. The man of letter, the literate man, was knocking on the door. He asked to see the soul winner, and the wife said, I don't think John wants to see anyone. The man said, I believe he wants to see me. And John came out, and the man said to John, Sir, would you tell me how to be saved? Would you tell me how to be a Christian? Someone said, have you come to make sport of me? Are you just jesting? He said, no, I'm serious. I need to be saved. I want to be saved. Someone said, I don't understand it. When I was in your house, every argument I gave you destroyed. He said, no, there was one argument you had that I could not answer. He said, what was it? The man said, when you laid your trembling hand on my shoulder and with fear in your eye, you said that you loved me and you wanted to see me saved. When you left, I could not answer that. What would make a man like you leave his home on a night like this and go all the way across the city and even be humiliated to share what you shared? I said to myself, and he said, I looked at my own emptiness, but I saw your genuine love, and that was an argument I could not answer. I need to be saved. And some having compassion is making a difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for a church that I believe is compassionate. God, we need to be a whole lot more compassionate towards a lost and dying world. Lord, we don't have all the answers. We're not eloquent of speech. And God, we're not a debater and we're not a prosecuting attorney. And you have not called us to be. You've called us to be a witness. 
a compassionate witness. God, please give us a passion for souls. Lord, men and ladies and boys and girls are going to hell if they do not receive you. That's a fact. That's in the Word of God. You preached on hell 13 times. You allowed in your Bible that hell be mentioned 83 times. Lord, I know it's a real place. And I know, dear God, it's a horrible place and it's an eternal place. And Lord, I'm concerned about my friends and family that do not know you as their personal Savior. So Lord, please, help us, dear God, not just to give faith promise this morning and not just have a missionary program and not just remodel this sanctuary so people think it's prettier. But God, help us to be like the Good Samaritan, to go out into the ditch of sin where they can't help themselves and they can't pick themselves up. And Lord, if we have to get an old van or an old bus that we'd like to call a beast and put them in it and bring them to a place of rescue, a place of revelation, and a place of knowing that you're coming soon, God, let it be through us the kind of church you want us to be. God, fill us to overflowing with your spirit of compassion that makes a real difference. Not only in this church, but God, to the lost sinner that needs you desperately before they die and needs you desperately as they live tomorrow in their home. And we'll praise you.